welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hi, Molly. Hi, Jody. It's great to see you. I know, it's so nice to record in the office. I know, so for people who are not sitting with us now, we are in our Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast studio in New York City. And sitting next to each other. Oh, yes. people are actually watching us. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but anyway, for the people listening with their ears, um, we're together. And we just had a delicious pizza lunch. Oh, so good. And now we want to tell you about today's guest. It's Nick Greenfield. He is the CEO and founder of Candid. And Molly, you got to listen in. Yeah, it was so awesome to hear from somebody who is creating a business that they're, like, they're not exactly like familiar with because he's not like an orthodontist or anything but it's cool that you can start a business with other like-minded people who want to start the same thing and then partner with somebody who's actually in that industry and I think that's really fun. Yeah so the whole um, theme of this quarter is technology and technology is playing such a huge role in the growth of their business and how they interact with patients and physicians and the dental industry and orthodontics, which one would think wouldn't be particularly sexy, but it actually sounded really interesting. Yeah, it was really cool to hear about because like, it's not something you normally ever talk about, but it's cool to hear how they're changing it. So um, this is episode 201. Let's play the episode. Yeah, let's do it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'm so glad you joined us. Welcome to our fifth anniversary season of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. We're thrilled to introduce you to our 201st guest, Nick Greenfield. He's the co-founder and CEO of Candid. Hey there, Nick. Hi. Thanks for having me, Jody. It's so great to see you. Um, with your framing right now, it almost looks like you're in an ocean wonderland. I, I have a view of the ocean from my office right now. So uh, it is, it, 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 it's pretty nice. Um, what city are you in? I am currently in Miami. Um, so I'm down here, um, at least for now. Um, and I travel a lot. So the company is based in New York. Um, and I've spent the last five or six years in the New York area. Um, but down in Florida for now, uh, with the pandemic and the, the future of remote work, I'm excited to be here and, and managing everything from, from down south. Sounds good to me because it's pretty cold here in New Jersey. So, um, okay, well, welcome officially to Where Brains Meet Beauty, Nick. Um, I'm going to ask you my favorite question first. Um, when you were a kid, you know, channel your 11-year-old self, what did you want to be when you grow up? I wanted to be an astronaut. That's an easy one. Um, I, I actually went to space camp as a kid. Um, so like really went all in full kind of full, full nerd. And in fact, um, I have a really good family friend who is an astronaut on the new telescope or uh, that, sorry, an engineer on the new telescope that just went up into space. So I was really into it. And it was probably in seventh or eighth grade where I realized I did not have the ability to really be an astronaut. Okay. This is so cool because there was a movie when I was growing up, it came out in 1986 called Space Camp. And it was all about, like, the group of kids who got to go to space camp. And when they were doing a simulation exercise in the space shuttle, by accident, the space shuttle blasted them off into space. And they needed to figure out how to get home. And it was, like, one of my top five favorite movies as a kid because I wanted to be that kid, just like you. I wanted to be at space camp. I wanted to learn all about it. Um, and it fell out of reach for me. So it's I'm so excited that you got to actually go. I feel very fortunate that I got to go, and I'm also fortunate that my space shuttle simulation didn't send us into space because that that would have been unfortunate as a you know as a 11 year old. I don't think I would have really known how to fly the space shuttle. So 
Um, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I'm on earth now. The desire to go to space isn't quite what it once was. Is there like one thing that you learned when you were there that like still sticks with you um, and that you like kind of draw upon from time to time? I was afraid of roller coasters when I was little. I really didn't want to go on any rides. And when you go to space camp, they kind of force you to do the zero gravity and the different things. So I, what, I, what I learned was that by going, by getting shot up in the air 300 feet really fast, which was one of the simulations we did that I, in fact, love roller coasters. And I remember that from Space Camp. That's so fun. Okay, so um, I'm so glad you're on this show because the theme this quarter is um, technology, right? And I want to talk with you about technology and innovation, how it's driven your own career journey. And in our intake interview a few weeks ago, you said something to me that was so fascinating. I wrote it down. You told me that um, one of the questions business leaders and entrepreneurs should ask themselves is, does your business need to be here, right? So what does that mean to you? Why do you exist, right? There's all these technologies and companies and things that are out there, even things that we, you know, see, um, you know, see as companies that raise lots of money in, in, in you know, in the news cycle, obviously, um, but is that something that actually needs to exist? And I think that more and more, especially as we think about Gen Z coming into the workforce and obviously, you know, millennials, we deeply care about having something that should exist and be in the world and makes a difference. And I think that when you have the opportunity or you're thinking about starting a company, whether it's something you're personally very passionate about and you think that it should be something that exists and it could be as you know an e-commerce brand it could be a small retail store whatever that is all the way to i want to build a you know i want to build a spacex and shoot satellites you know into orbit to provide internet for the world whatever that may be i think it's really important to make sure that your business whatever you're doing actually needs to exist and if it doesn't that's where you run into trouble, where it's not just if there's something called product market fit, which is it does is the thing actually kind of fit in the market and can you sell it and can you market it? But at the end of the day, when you're three, four, five years into your journey, you need to look up and say, is this the thing that I really want to be doing and building for the next five or 10 or 15 years? Because you'll always run into these, you know, into these walls. And you have to be willing as an entrepreneur to run through them. And it takes passion, desire, and care, whether external or internally motivated, knowing that your product or whatever you're selling or building should exist to be able to run through those walls. So you um, you told me you value failure. Um, how does failing impact innovation? I think that failure is the only way to actually learn and move forward. If we're always successful, we never get to taste what it's like to lose. And, you know, loving winning is great, but but if you the only way you can love winning is if you actually have lost and you know what that feeling is. And I think there's no there's no better for me, you know, experience than having gone through at least from a, a you know a business standpoint, uh, a business, you know, that that was not gonna make it, right? And my first job in, in my career, a company called Zimride, you know, we had an interesting biz, little business, but it was never going to actually truly make it. And when we launched Lyft in, in 2012, all of a sudden it was that feeling of, oh, this is going to work. And so some of the learnings that we had from Zimride, we were able to apply to Lyft right then and there. And those failures were what's act what actually drove Lyft to be successful very quickly, uh, rather than having to fail. And maybe the company Lyft wouldn't exist today if we hadn't had those prior failures. Um, I've been really connecting to this idea of you know, just like years worth of, I don't really call it failing, just I guess experiences or challenges or obstacles. But um, 
I see a new view of these like confronting boulders. Like we're, I'm, I'm climbing up a hill and like I'm constantly faced with boulders rolling at me. Um, that's kind of how I feel like my 15-year entrepreneurial journey has been. And I, um, I see it in a new way when I look at my son. He's 14 and he's a wrestler and he's been wrestling for, I guess, like six years. And in the beginning, I mean, he lost all the time, right? He wanted to win, right? He wanted to win his first match like right away. And he had to do a lot, a lot of losing, like a lot of losing for years. And now he's amazing and like so talented and, and so control and composed in his craft. And the only way to get to, to where he is now is a lot, a lot, a lot of losing. Yeah, I think motivation, you know, is, is driven if you look at different people are motivated by different things. You know, Michael Jordan is a great example of the example of him not making the varsity basketball team getting cut, right? That could be viewed as a failure. And then he was the greatest basketball player of all time. And that comes, that drove him, the, the failure of not making that team drove him to build his work ethic. And it sounds like your son maybe came from something similar. And so for me, I've seen that in my career, you know, over and over again, whether it's micro failures, testing and learning, right? You, the whole idea of testing and learning is you're going to try some things that work and other things that don't work. You think that our culture doesn't like value failing though. Like how do you see like the, um, a resistance to accepting failure and accepting challenges? And um, where do you see the resistance to celebrating the failures? Look, I think grade inflation, I think the desire as a kid to get only to get straight A's, <laughs> right? Is a perfect example. It's like the perfect embodiment of this where we as, and, and you know, as we've grown up, right? The idea that you would get a B or a C, right? Like we, we think that, you know, C, which is supposed to be average for, for me growing up, a C was absolutely a failure. And so we've created societally a way of looking at things and saying, look, if you're anywhere halfway decent, you're going to get a B or an A. And that's how it works. And I think that we need to reframe our paradigm and challenge ourselves and create situations where, look, if you get a C, it doesn't necessarily mean that you did poorly. The thing was really hard. And the harder it is, the more we learn, the more we push ourselves. And then by the time you get into the real world, you know, all of a sudden you're able to actually figure out how to succeed and, and drive. So I think we've just, we coddle it very much now and try to give that those kind of dopamine hits um, of success. And, and that's not really success, right? That's in a controlled environment. And I think that we should accept the fact that not getting an A every time means that the test was probably hard. And if the test is hard, that allows you to push yourself and learn and have to at least mentally challenge yourself. And I think we can see this in so many places besides school, but I think it's the perfect embodiment. Nick, that's such a great example because um, it's making me smile thinking back to high school. And... Um you know, like the classes I took. And I, I will be honest, like I was not a devoted student. And thankfully, the work came easy to me. So I was really happy to do no work and get like a B, B plus. Um, but I did know, like my instinct was, well, that's not good enough because my friends are all striving for the A plus plus, right? Um, there was always this ambition that they had to get it. I was less ambitious and I was satisfied with my B, but never in the equation was C, which is like, probably what the expectation should be, right? So I think it's really interesting how you reframed grading for me in my own life. It helps me kind of see my past a little differently. Yeah, I mean, it's the point of having the curve, right? Which is, which I would never, like I personally, if I think about what would motivate me, I would never want to have to be graded on a curve where like if I got, you know, if I got the 40th percentile, I'm getting a D. But in reality, I was like, I did so well on that test. 
But I think it's just the, 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 the unwillingness to truly challenge ourselves and continue to challenge ourselves over and over again puts us in a place of complacency. And you see this in athletics, you know, it's binary, A and B, win and lose. You see it in business. Um, but I think that we as a society just, we, we value those, like that, we, the idea of success being these like micro, micro success. But I think that we should value trying absolutely at our best, our hardest. And even if we don't succeed, we'll learn from that failure and grow. And organizationally, we'll do that. Well, I love this train of thought because it's totally aligned with the whole purpose of the show, which is, you know, to celebrate the journey, right? Because it's really the journey that's so exciting and there's so many points to learn and grow. So this is a really good segue actually into this topic of building something generational, which is something else that you told me is important to you. So I actually, this is a topic I love talking about. I haven't actually studied it, but I see in many industries there's, um, and especially beauty and wellness, maybe other industries as well, but it seems like businesses keep popping up with very short-term goals, <laughs> you know, like with really no ambition to be more than short-term, like um, a one-hit wonder kind of thing. And I really do believe anecdotally, and probably some of the research I've studied tells me this too, that the younger Gen Z customer wants to support brands who want to make a long-term relationship with them and like our future thinking. So, uh, you know, I think of the brands I grew up with, you know, that maybe I don't relate to anymore, but they were like, you know, generations of people in my family were relating to them before me. So do you think that um, it's a trend, this idea of building a new trend to build something generational? Is this starting to pick up momentum or, we, or you know, are you sort of the uh, outlier in this? I would see it actually almost being the opposite. I think your point of brands coming in, trying to build, you know, with a singular product and getting acquired or, you know, doing it for a hot second. I think the more the, I think the instant feedback that we get from being on Instagram or being on TikTok or the text messages that we get from our friends all day, those, again, those like those quick dopamine hits. I think we are, we are building ourselves up into a world where we want that fast response and I think to build something generational, if you think about, you know, our grandparents' generation, they would work at one company for 30, 40 years because they wanted to be a part of that, that thing and they would build and build and build. So I think that's one trend I'm seeing. Another trend I'm seeing is there are more companies being started than ever before. And so while you might have some companies that are trying to do it really quickly, you have other companies that are actually thinking about these really long-term trends. So, you know, we're, we're here talking about technology. And if you think about Web3, right, or, or cryptocurrencies, there's a whole get-rich-quick scheme associated with some of that, right? And it's crazy. But there's a whole group of people who are very dedicated to making this the next 100 years of what the internet should look like. And so applying that, I think you'll see that you'll see both paradigms, but I think more and more, um, I get excited and candid, my, my company, we made a huge change, you know, in the last two months because we do want to build a company that can actually be a generational business. And that means that we had to make big changes to our business model. And I, I think I do, I, I get really excited when I see companies that have that really, really long-term vision. Um, and I think that the, the influx of venture capital dollars is also seeing that. So um, there are more companies being started than ever before. And hopefully some of them truly can be a generational organization. So thank you for the segue, because now I want to talk about, you know, your your business decisions recently. Um, you told me that you closed your D2C business to focus solely on the professional channel. And I'm actually um, a huge fan of pro brands and at Beast Beauty. We work with so many 
pro brands against skincare and hair care. So like the power of the pro's voice is just like unlike anything else to um, you move the needle. Why did you make the shift? You know, we started the company five years ago. So just to give you an idea of spending the last five years, we raised over $100 million, like really, really focused on direct-to-consumer. Um, but at the end of the day, we built a product that actually needed more conversation in the dental professional where we, we make a clear liner. It's called Candid. Um, hopefully some people who are listening have heard of it. Um, and it, it competes in the space with Invisalign and, and other products like Smile Direct Club. And what we did was build a product geared around accessibility and high quality patient outcomes. And what we found was that through direct-to-consumer marketing, we actually weren't able to truly get the message out about the unique, amazing properties of Candid using this amazing telehealth-driven technology to connect doctors and patients remotely and drive fewer office visits and incredible outcomes for patients. So we tried to sell that through the direct-to-consumer channel, and we actually saw over time that doctors having a conversation with their patients, even with a minute or two minutes, we're able to actually transfer that message in a much better, uh, much more authentic and, uh, and frankly, believable way than the claims we were able to make as a direct-to-consumer brand. And at the same time, we saw that 80% of our patients were actually more interested in starting in the office and willing to pay significantly more to work with their dentist than by doing it via direct-to-consumer. So I think those two things really pushed us. Well, you know, we grew our business to, you know, a lot of revenue, right? We're talking about, you know, we're talking about nearing like nine figure revenue. We recognize that to be a generational business, to be around for 50 years or 100 years, we needed to shift and alter the way we were actually positioning ourselves and allow both the patient to dictate where they wanted to start treatment, which is in the dental chair, and the dentist to dictate how they actually manage that relationship through that chair. So we still minimize office visits, but now we have that added layer of support. And I, and I do think that the future of healthcare really is this hybrid between in-person care, even to get started, and then remote monitoring and compliance to minimize office visits. And while Candid isn't dental, it definitely is still healthcare. And I think we're the, at the forefront of that innovation. So I'm really excited about the change that we made, officially announced uh, really two weeks ago. So um, in terms of the telehealth innovation, um, what types of innovations do the dental pros crave? Like, what are you able to give them that they've weren't able to get, get give themselves or didn't even have the know-how to make happen for themselves? We have an app called the Candid app. Uh, it's been called in reviews the Tesla of orthodontics, um, which I, I appreciate as a, as a nice analogy. Um, the, the app has over 2,000 reviews. It's the top rated app uh, in, in telehealth on the dental side. Um, so it's a really, really strong um, you know, mobile application that allows dentists and patients to connect with each other remotely. Um, and that means that patients can actually use their phones and scan their mouth every two weeks instead of coming back into the office. And using computer vision and, and artificial intelligence, we're actually able to see the patient's teeth um, and, and automatically detect if the aligners are fitting or not. Which means that instead of going in every two weeks to visit your doctor, you can do your visit from home. And that is hugely trans- Wait, sorry, Nick, can I just ask you a question? Sorry to interrupt, but my daughter's going through orthodontist, orthodont, or whatever. 
going through this process right now at the orthodontist. Um, so you're saying the app on your phone is taking all those crazy, amazing pictures of her of the patient's mouth the way that she would have these amazing pictures in the dentist's office? That's right. Yeah. So we get, and we actually just did a, a, a manual review of all of our cases. And we saw that orthodontists agreed with our scans over 99% of the time. So you're talking about incredible level of fidelity. And if you think about it from the perspective of a parent, now you don't have to pick your kid up at 2.30 and go to the orthodontist and take them in, right? So they, they miss, you know, miss soccer or, or miss piano. They can actually go through that experience. And as an adult, if you work a job that's, you know, nine to five, there's a good chance the orthodontist is only open 10 to four. And that means that you can't go in person. So what we've done is actually enable way more care and make care far more accessible for patients, for their parents, for adults, and also for the doctors who now dramatically reduce the amount of office visits that they need to require to bring their patients back in. And that's all through this amazing mobile application and remote scanning technology. It's funny you say that because we were just at the orthodontist on Monday and between 2.30 and 4.30, it's like Grand Central Station, right? Like people, kids in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. And then our appointment was at four. So when we left, it was like, um, I don't know, almost five. We had a long appointment and there was nobody there. Like the entire place emptied out as if it was like one o'clock in the morning at the train station. So yeah, it's like a very small window of when you can actually get your kid the access to the pro they need because of school hours and after school activities. So it's really amazing that you can have the quality scanning, which is very impressive these days that um, scanning is next level and do it on more of your own time. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Um, we and, and we not only provide that, but we also provide communication and a platform that sits on top of the, the Candid app that makes things easier for doctors and makes things also easier for patients. So we, our view is how do you dramatically increase access to that overall healthcare experience? Um, and that means more people can provide orthodontics. And if you think about it from, you know, obviously a health and wellness standpoint, orthodontics are the foundation of good dental and oral care, which is also the foundation from a beauty perspective of, you know, of a, a, a beautiful mouth and a beautiful smile and confidence and self-expression. So everything is really, really tied in together. And that's why for me, going back to your first question of, you know, being mission oriented or, you know, how do you feel about, you know, is this the type of thing that you want to work on forever? Why do you exist? I think at our company, we can look at this and say, look, like we can see why we exist. We are literally transforming people's mouths and smiles, which is helping them transform their lives. And that's something that I'm excited about. And this shift to Candid Pro allows us to go from doing it direct to consumer to accessing an order of magnitude more patients around the country. Okay. My last question, it's like a really important topic to me. Um, in my 15-year entrepreneurial journey, I summarize my personal experience as growing a business is seductive. Right. Like anytime I get to this point where I'm like, oh, like a little dream come true, I'm like, I want more. Right. So I want to work harder, longer, more intensely. Um, and it's this seduction that I actually think is like part amazing because it means I have a lot of fun in my work, but also part challenging. Like I could sit here all day and send emails like, why am I not hanging out with my kids or why am I not going to the gym or whatever? So I'm so curious to know. Um, what aspects of growing this business are seductive for you? Ooh, amazing. That's an amazing question. And I've never thought of that term to describe what I'm going through, but it's so perfect. Um, you know, it's the moments for me with our own internal employees 
where I see somebody break through, you know, as somebody who's getting promoted, break through and do amazing work. Uh, it's for me, actually, many times the moments where people have left Candid and gone on to start their own companies, where I can see that kind of seed of, of the entrepreneurial journey start with their work at Candid and then go into starting a new company. We've had six or seven people leave Candid who've all gone to start their own companies. So I think that for me, I, I get that joy out of seeing other people around me grow, develop and be successful. I think that's probably like the biggest you know, that the, the like the most seductive part of this is the ability to help other people become the best versions of their business self, hopefully themselves, but at least with their experience with Candid, the best version of their of their work and business self. Um, and I think that that's, you know, for me, probably got to be the number one uh, most seductive part about about the journey. Great. Thank you. Okay. So Nick, our next segment is fan questions. So we asked our fans on Instagram for some questions for you. I have three questions. The first one is, how did COVID affect your business? Uh, wow. We had to shut the business down, all of our retail locations in, when we were in direct-to-consumer. So we had 100% of our retail locations were shut. Um, we, it, we lost 85% of our revenue. We had to lay off 30% of our staff and furloughed another 50% of our staff and then cut everyone's salaries by 50%. Um, so I would say it was a massive impact out of the gate, um, but we stayed alive and we, we have come back, um, you know, in the, after the first three months of lockdown really came back thriving um, and have rebuilt the business. Um, during that time, we were manufacturing PPE. So manufacturing face shields um, for um, different populations, uh, police departments, um, Planned Parenthood and everyone in between. Um, we um, built a manufacturing facility. We launched a whitening product in partnership with Philips or Philips Zoom whitening. So we we were able to do so much during that first that first lockdown phase, even under you know really challenging circumstances, and, and we're back better than ever now. Awesome. Okay. Second question: Why oral care? I've always liked going to the dentist. I'm one of the very few. <laughs> people out there who feels that way. Um, but I, I really loved, uh, love going to the dentist. So I always found it an intriguing market. Um, and I, while I'm not a dentist myself, although my, you know, my mother would be proud to have a, a Jewish dentist son. I, I didn't, I didn't make her proud in that way, but this is the next, next best thing. Awesome. Okay. And then last question, um, what other founders you look to for inspo and guidance when, um, running your business? I think, you know, the, the top three that I would give you would be people that I've, I've worked for in the past. So Eric Gleiman and Kareem Atiyeh, who started a company called Ramp, um, they were the founders of the last company I worked at called Paribus. And they've just done a, such an amazing job starting Ramp, which is a corporate card, um, you know, innovation, innovating in the, um, in the corporate card and uh, expense management space. Um, I've seen them go from, you know, zero to an $8 billion, or, sorry, $4 billion company in the last um, in the last three years, uh, it's just been incredible watching how hard they've worked and how they've been magnets for talent. Recruiting is the most important thing when you're starting a company. Um, I point to John Logan, uh, John and Logan, um, so uh, the founders of Lyft, who really kind of got me got me going here. Um, and then um, I think I, I would also uh, look at um, Kira Wampler, who's on the board of Candid. 
Um, she uh, is a partner at Redesign Health and has started some amazing companies there, um, including Jasper, which is innovating in the in the cancer space. They're helping provide end-to-end um, care navigation in cancer. And just a company called ja- Jasper that she just raised money from a big venture firm for. So seeing her kind of drive that innovation has been pretty awesome. And those are people that I know closely and, and definitely draw inspiration from. Awesome. Well, Nick, I want to say thank you so much for joining us and being our 201st episode. It was super fun to hear about your story. And thank you for um, playing along with our game and answering our fan questions. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Nick. Please subscribe to our series on your favorite podcast app. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at where brains meet beauty podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.